Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to History in Technicolor. I'm Wolf O'Neill. I, on the other hand, am not. So, not that I wouldn't like to be, obviously. Should we just keep going? We're going to talk today about Papillon. Papillon? Papillon. Uh, Papillon. And it's over to you, Wolf. Okay. Papillon is a 1973 movie. The film is based on the semi-autobiographical book by... Get ready for excellent pronunciation. Henri Charrière. Henri That was released in 1969 and became an instant sensation and bestseller. You have to spit just slightly after the end of each uh, word. Okay. Henri Charrière. It follows the exploits and various escape attempts that Henri, or Papillon, as he was known, made to try and escape the penal colony on French Guiana, which includes the infamous Devil Island. Uh, which, incidentally, is the name of a Megadeth song that's pretty good. <laughs> Are there any Megadeth? Yes, Karen, of course. Great. And Great the song's song, all sure. about Papillon. Is it? Yes. Right. Uh, the events take place between 1931 and 1945. I have selected this film... Because prison escape movies are my jam. Is that right? What other prison escape movies do you like that are in your jam? <sighs> um, well, actually, I really wanted to do sure, The sure. Coldest Story. Ah, uh, Coldest Story. I love The Coldest Story. Did you play story. the game? No, I didn't. Oh, it's such a good game. I can find one. I love The Coldest Story, and I was really tempted to do it. I love The Great Escape. What's the tune of The Great, great Escape? No, that's going to take too much time, David. Was that John Barry? No, I don't know who that was, but it was excellent. True, great escape. And then it goes on to the whistling bit. Yeah, and porridge. 
Yes, but don't really escape prison in Porridge. Shawshank Redemption. They try, don't they? Escape from Alcatraz. Escape from Alcatraz. Season one of Prison Break, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Quite like season one because yeah. they're escaping the prison. Yeah. If there's ever a prison, the prison environment is great for drama. And escape, escape attempts, the, the minute detail, the right. fear that the guard is going to catch uh-huh. you. Uh, the guard's going, right. Yeah. You know when they're having to hide all the tools yeah. and there's always something disrupting the plan? Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, like, I just really enjoy it. Do you like the other ones? The ones where you're the prison governor trying to bring hope and light and justice to a terrible prison. So what the one with Robert Redford I mentioned, I can't remember. Is it B-Deco? It's not B-Deco. It's a guy. Could, could, could be. And yeah. there's another one with um, oh, O.J. Simpson, isn't there? Or uh, uh, Maybe. There's a whole bunch of good ones. Anyway. Cool Hand Luke is a great movie. Right. I thought that was a French uh, cartoon. Luke. What? No, Cool Hand Luke. Cool Paul, Luke. Paul Newman. Well, oh, he's no, in that yeah. prison. I'm sure it's a French cartoon. What it? we have here is a failure <laughs> to communicate. <laughs> is that is that an impression? No, or not of Paul Newman. It's an impression of the evil warden. That's it, right? It's very good. I think that may be the one I'm thinking of, actually. And maybe the one I'm thinking it's of. It's a really great movie. Yeah. I highly recommend it. But you're distracting me, David. Mm. The point I've, se- I've selected this film because I wanted to go for something that I remembered as being hugely enjoyable. Yeah. As a teen, I watched it and I really enjoyed it. Because you like pain, suffering. Well, so you're a teenager, of course you do. Okay, so we'll get on to this. It's grislier than I remember. (laughs) I had to... So I wanted to revisit it. I wanted to read the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So So you hadn't read the book? So I hadn't read the book. I knew nothing about the book. Did you enjoy the book? I actually didn't know the book existed. Right. So it was a revelation to me when I was like, oh, this is based on an autobiography. At the end, I'm going to ask you whether you like the book or the film better. So prepare yourself. Don't ask me now, So... Discovering it was an autobiography immediately put it onto my radar, and then I thought, you know what, let's go, let's go for something fun, let's explore this. And you had told me you had read the book as a child, but you'd never seen the film. So I thought this was a perfect opportunity for me to read the book and for I, you to see the film. I lied, actually. You lied. Okay. Turns out. I, I hate I you, David. Truth, yeah. I hate you so much. I know, but I at the time I thought I was telling you the truth. You told me repeatedly that you'd never ever seen, seen it. the movie. A bit like Ronald Reagan. I didn't remember what I was doing on that day. Okay. Um, so, I wanted to explore the truth of the story and the setting, and actually it's been really interesting reading up a little bit more about the penal colonies. The film is a wild adventure movie, and I just thought it was uh, nice to do something maybe a little bit Okay. Can we agree on one thing before we go on? What? Can we call it, call it prison colony rather than penal colony? It's just slightly rude about penal colony, I can't get over. Okay, you want well, me to edit that, that out, one of us is a grown man. <laughs> Okay, so let's go on. Let's go into the details of this because I think this is really interesting. So the other reasons I selected this because a huge bunch of the people involved in this film are related to a bunch of other historical Mm -hmm. movies. The director Franklin J. Schaffner directed Patton. Right. So he won the Oscar for director for Patton, and he also made Planet of the Apes, The Boys from Brazil. So he was a really prominent film director in the sort of the late sixties and the seventies. Made a bunch of really good movies. So I was like, this is great. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Okay. Dalton Trumbo wrote the screenplay. Is he really called Dalton Trumbo? Yes. Okay. Dalton Trumbo was one of the Hollywood Ten. Okay. He was a screenwriter who was blacklisted for his for being a communist. Ah, and was removed from Hollywood. He then worked secretly because he was such a good screenwriter. Yeah. And he wrote the screenplays for Roman Holiday and Spartacus ah. as 
for some No, of... did he write I Am Spartacus? Yep. No, I'm Spartacus. Yep. Did he write that? He won two Oscars, but had to. They had to be given to people under pseudonyms because he was not allowed to go and receive them. Good Lord. So when he won for Roman Holiday, no one was allowed to know it was him. God. And only years later, after right. McCarthyism yeah. was over, and they kind of he was he was reinstated back into the Writers Guild, and was recognised for his achievements because he had won two Academy Awards and could not go and collect them. Right. They were not under his name. He had no recognition for them. So. Seeing his name come up as the screenwriter for this, fascinating. Right. Okay? Jerry Goldsmith is the composer, and he wrote the score to Star Trek. Did he? Star Trek, the, the motion... The original movie, The motion picture. Da, the very da, first movie and the okay. next four movies. Does that, that... So not the... Da, da, he da, must have done. Da, 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 so this oh, is what I needed to know. If oh, Somebody actually might Star know Trek. if yeah, somebody yeah. else did that. Yeah. But I'm assuming if Jerry Goldsmith is the composer for the very first Star Trek right. movie and then the next four movies... Is that right? So he did the Roth Khan as well? Yep. So if he did all of those movies, chances are he did the main thing. Is there any chance we could have the Roth Khan as a historical movie? Uh, only if we go into the future and it turns out Ooh. it's true. Okay, well, let's do that then. Um, he also did the scores for Alien, Chinatown, Gremlins, Total Recall, LA Confidential, The Omen... He won one Academy Award and he was actually nominated 18 times, right. which is the most ever to only ever have one win. Right. Um, very highly respected and awarded composer. And he was nominated for Papillon as well. Right. Ironically, I don't really remember the score no, for this film. No, I was about to say the same thing. But yeah. he is right. a great composer and I thought okay. it was worth mentioning, plus I know you love Star Trek. Better or worse than John Barry. Steve McQueen is so good. He's so cool, isn't he? This movie comes quite late in his career yeah. and I think it's genuinely fascinating the Towering Inferno follows in 1974, right. and it's around this time in his career that he becomes the highest-paid actor in Hollywood. Oh, is that right? So I think it's just after this film. It's one year later, he becomes the highest-paid actor in Hollywood. He's dead six years later, and he only makes, I think, two more films. And he takes a three- or four-year gap to focus on his racing. Right. I just think it's really interesting how this fits in his career, and interesting parallel that he makes The Great Escape in the 60s, and he comes back to a prison movie, and carries a lot of that legacy on and he gets a much bigger role in this and obviously right. I, I think there's a key reason that those two movies are connected right. and you've also got Dustin Hoffman who made The Graduate in 1967 Midnight Cowboy in 1969 Straw Dogs in 1971 so he's on the rise in his career and he's been working sort of big now for about six years so it's quite interesting to see him on the bill with Steve McQueen who's obviously doing it for quite a long time okay the real history prior to the book uh, so in France, uh, some prisoners used to be kept on prison hulks, uh, which were these like giant ships that were moored offshore. Uh, over time, the population grew rapidly, uh, and I believe that legislation in 1832 was passed to provide basic necessities to prisoners. They hadn't gotten them before, mm -hmm. and they moved away from execution. Uh, as a result, imprisonment was the way, and they obviously wanted to deter people from being criminals because there was quite a high percentage of repeat offenders for a long period of time. So I think their prisons were quite brutal as a deterrent. Uh, internal agricultural penal colonies were built. Uh, but then in 1851, Napoleon II orders the hulks closed and prisoners sent overseas to colonies. They looked at all of the various colonies they had, including Texas, etc. And they were like, where do we send them? They looked at Algeria and they picked French Guiana. Uh, a lot of political prisoners were also sent there. Uh, the most famous being the wrongly charged Alfred Dreyfus. Mm, Dreyfus Affair. Yeah. Yes. So I read up a little bit about the Dreyfus Affair. Uh -huh. and obviously it's interesting that 
that's where he ends. And he actually ended up on Devil's Island, and this is drawing picture, a picture, I saw a of, him picture him yeah. of him sat there. So the story kind of really gets going when Henri murders uh, Pimp. Supposedly, that's the crime that he's charged with. So, French Guiana operated a penal colony from 1852 to 1946, roughly. Uh, Anyone receiving a sentence of more than eight years was exiled there for life. And I genuinely believe that if you went and did a sentence for, say, six years in the prison, you then had to do six years on the island afterwards as a free citizen before you were allowed to return to France. And sometimes people returned to France before their time was... After you know, during their period, and if they that happened, they were sent back to prison. Right. So, conditions were brutal. Uh, approximately forty percent of new arrivals died within a year. Of the eighty thousand people sent there, very few returned. Uh, the merciless labor, the poor diet, the wide array of new diseases, uh, and mosquitoes were particularly mm. rife. They they were unable to prepare for it, and uh, most people died. Uh, a lot of people died trying to escape. A lot of people were killed by wild animals, scurvy. There were professional hunters. Obviously, the island, so there's a lot of people drowned and were killed by sharks. And then Henri Charrier is sentenced in 1931 for hard life for murder, and he's sent to the penal colony. He does eventually escape at the end, and he goes on to become a Venezuelan citizen, Mm. but it takes a lot of attempts. It is worth noting as well that this film, obviously because it's based on a book, when we look at the accuracy, yeah. we're going to kind of weigh up if the book is accurate or not. To start with, with the film, what did you think, David? Considering that you hadn't seen it in so long and mm. you remember the book quite fondly. Yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed I am also a bit of a fan of film movies, film break movies. Oh, sorry, film movies. Film movies. <coughs> it's an ah, that classic <laughs> genre of film movies. <laughs> that kind of clarifies a lot, doesn't it? I am also a fan of prison break movies. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why. It'd be quite interesting to know why. It's something about you know that hard regime, all the, the pain and agony, and then the escape, maybe. But actually, you in, quite enjoy the misery in an odd sort of way. Hmm. It's not going any further there. But anyway, so I really enjoyed that. Um, the what the scene that I remember that made me realise that I had seen it before was when he's in solitary confinement and the, the guard best bit. sees the him eating the bugs through the gap, which is just a fantastic, you know, a really amazing bit. I think it's the triumph of the human spirit is the reason why I enjoy prison movies, the survival against all the odds. Um, the ingenuity, yes. the initiative. Yeah, how you go back to basics the and sheer survive will. when everything... Yeah, the sheer will. So I really enjoyed the movies. I thought it worked really well between Dustin and Steve, and you can imagine that relationship going badly wrong of two sort of big actors, but actually I quite liked that relationship and thought it worked well. Um, it felt realistic without being uh, voyeuristic. Um, you know, it didn't feel like, uh, what are the names of the ex- exploitation movie? What do they call those things? Exploitation movies? Do they? That's good then. That's so it nice. didn't feel like an exploitation <laughs> movie. Uh, so the time time went and I you know, enjoyed it. I don't think I got terribly emotionally engaged. I don't think no. at the end I thought, you know, there's something quite cold and quite flat about it. Yes. Um, and there was potential for, obviously... The biggest bit of pathos, I suppose, was Louis Doga's uh, wife um, and the fact that he, he thinks all the time that she's going to remain faithful. And, of course, you know, she doesn't, and kind of why would you? The other points that... Um, actually, I say here the soundtrack is very good, which is quite interesting, especially the bit in the jungle when they're being tracked. There was quite a sense of tension there, actually, so I did quite like that. 
the slight sense of re- unreality sometimes. The story drives on and the colours actually are quite distracting. The fact they've got these very pink uniforms yes. makes it all look... It's like a, Paddington 2. It is a bit by Paddington 2. It kind of makes it... You think, oh, we can't be that bad if they've got such pretty... Any, you know. <laughs> so, as we said, it's sometimes a bit um, cold. Um, for example, when they're running through the forest... Robin Hood and Little John are running through the forest, having such a good time with the sheriff's men, except they're not, they're being tracked. And you have the Rambo moment when the native has made a trap and it skewers the guy. Yes. It's quite cold, funnily enough. Despite the fact the guy's choking to death, Steve looks at him and he's saying, oh, it's interesting. That's partly, I think, because in in this world that they're living in, Yes. The, the idea is brutality is so common. Humanity has been squeezed out of them. You yeah. just have to move on. Yeah. Did it, did it remind you the bit in the jungle of Indiana Jones? No, it reminded me of uh, Rambo. Oh, okay. You, you said that. Sorry. Yeah. Do you want to say it again or is that twice enough? Nope. No, nope, I think that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing was yep. this strange juxtaposition of this earthly paradise, you know, the blue seas, the blue sky, the sun, yep. the greenness, you know, the earthly paradise, the surf. And the utter brutality which is being visited on the inmates. And it is interesting that that environment, which looks so appealing, is so hostile all the time. Yeah. Just the natural world is just hostile. Yeah, I I thought uh, the scenery is incredible. And it's constantly changing. So you've got swamps, beaches, oceans. Mm. You've got... There's the scene where they're running through all those jagged branches on that island. Yeah. So it's constantly really engaging visually. That reminds me of the... uh... Disney thing, Elephant's Graveyard. Yeah, or the the brambles in um, Sleeping Beauty. Yes, that grows. Uh, it's just visually really impressive, yeah. and I know a lot of filmed on like real locations, so that's all really good. As you said before, the solitary confinement scenes, incredible. Yeah, that whole sequence, that quite long sequence where he goes in and has to stay through solitary yeah. confinement, uh, is the strongest bit of the film. And it's a big bit in the book as well, isn't it? You know the uh, the how he thinks about how he's going to survive this and what he's going to do. It's, it's when Steve McQueen is given the best chance to act as well mm. because he's just on his own in yeah. the cell. It's not so much about him running from things. He's He just has to be in this yeah. room. Um, and actually, like, the makeup and everything is fairly convincing mm. in terms of, like, how they age and stuff. So I thought that was pretty good. Although the old man bit... Yeah, towards the end. Yeah. That, so something which wasn't very good. There was something a bit Dick Van Dyke in um, uh, Mary Poppins 2 about that, but anyway... Um, did we? Were you really distracted by Dustin Hoffman's fake teeth and his glasses? Yes, must admit the glasses was was very often, but there was I think true to the book, wasn't it? As I remember, it, it could be. I just felt like someone was like, "What does a nerd look like?" Yeah. They're like, "What's the nerdiest pair of They've glasses got fake we glasses. can find?" All right, okay. And did you notice in the final shot you can see the diver underneath his raft no, of coconuts? I didn't. You know. can just see yes. this guy swimming. Yes, I it's did really wonder. Weird. You're absolutely right. I did wonder why is that? Is that a shark? I was uh, like, yeah. "What is that?" Yeah. It's the guy who's holding uh, the coconut gotcha. so that Stephen Queen can sit upright. Uh, gotcha. I just thought it was really interesting as a, as a lover of The Great Escape yeah. to see the comparison. So in that movie, Stephen Queen has his tennis ball yeah. and he just whiles away a little bit of time and then he's like, oh, I'm going to make another escape attempt. And then, oh, no, I get put, put back in solitary. And I know they make solitary a little bit bad in that yeah. movie, but this is nothing compared to Papillon. Yeah, absolutely. You feel like in this movie, if you end up in solitary, you're dead. Yeah. You will never escape again. And... Every single one of the escape attempts, uh, as soon as it goes wrong, a bunch of people just get killed. Yeah. Like, this isn't... You don't get taken back. Don't you do that again. (laughs) In French. Yes. (laughs) Sure, yes. It was just really shockingly brutal. Mm. Uh, Quite early on, they set that up. Uh, The execution, I was like, 
What movie? I don't the remember execution. this. Execution. I mean, that was something. Splashes of red blood all yeah, over the and screen? Yeah, with the head coming towards you. That was quite good. Quite, quite well done, wasn't it? it? It actually feels a little bit like the... If you ever see loads of those old kind of boys' adventure magazines or men's adventure magazines from like the 50s and the 60s, where it'll be like that that man on the front cover and his shirt's being ripped off by all those right. like crocodiles and he's like rescuing that woman while he like punches a crocodile in the head. I didn't read any of those mags actually. Well, if you ever see anything like okay. that, even if just the images, and even if they're being spoofed, right. that's kind of how I imagine this film. Right. They're like, okay, we've got to wrestle a crocodile. Oh my God, there's a shark here. And they run through the woods and there's a whole bunch of Indians and they're shooting blow darts at them. Yeah. Like it's it's never ending the amount of kind of classic yes. adventure tropes that exist in this film. That is true. So I think for enjoyment and the, the continuing one-upping of everything, oh, great, someone's hurt their ankle. Oh, no, it's gangrenous. Yeah. Oh, my God, <laughs> now we're going to have to cut their leg off. Oh, my yes. God. You know, it, it's it's yeah. brutal the whole way through. And actually the male rape scene, of course, although I remember the male rape scene, well, it's not a male rape scene in the film, actually, is it? It's, it's male prostitution almost. Whereas in the book, I'm sure it was a straightforward rate. The guard takes him into the end and, you know. Well, from I think from when I reread that, and yeah. I can't be certain because I was kind of skimming a little bit as I went, that there's a certain amount of it being maybe a little bit more like the film in right. terms oh, of okay. accuracy. So maybe I just remembered that wrong. It is a long time. That, that he does con- they do consciously plan to lure right. him okay. in there because that guy does, is, does join them on the escape. Right. Um, okay. I thought that it's very visceral. Uh, it's quite grim. You can really like feel right. the sweat. I mean, yeah, and that. I mean, that scene. Sorry to go on about a scene, but I mean that scene in the time must have been. Did it get commented on? I mean, that must have been quite extraordinary for nineteen seventy three. It must have been. It does so quite graphic. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not that graphic, but there's the you know leading up to it. It's it does really straightforward. What's happening? Yeah. The film is a little bit crazy. <clears throat> right. The scene where they they actually wrestle a live crocodile. Yes. Um. What? What? That was enough. It really feels like of the time. Yeah. And they're like, how do we get lots of nudity into this movie? Let's do it. How do we make this really violent? Let's do it. Right. And it's a it's a little bit over the top, but. Right. You know, yeah. it's it's still relatively fun. Obviously, the the regime where they're like, no rehabilitation, there's no pretense at that. They say, yeah. we're going to break you. And then the rule that they have to like maintain silence, like the the fact that there's no humanising of the guards in any way, mm. it, they're almost pure evil yeah. and othering. Kind of perfect for the story that they want to tell. Yeah. Um, I'll try and move a little bit quicker. I think that McQueen is really good. He's genuinely really good, and you completely understand why he's a star of his time. Uh, I think not just that he's just super cool. Then he he's he's well. really cool. I mean, he is really cool. How do some, how get does he look so cool, cool when he's so dirty and yeah, stinky and sweaty? I mean, it's illegal, really. And he he has he has the right balance where he's not he doesn't come across as so callous that you can't like him. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's Steve McQueen. Yeah. You just kind of go with it. It's yeah. fine. I thought Dustin Hoffman was much more forgettable than I remembered. Oh, is that right? I know there's a scene at the end. But maybe it's because I real kind of knew a little bit more about the book this time. But I found his his whole character a little bit forced in there. Right. Uh, I think just Dustin Hoffman. He really seemed to play a caricature. I thought he was like, how do I play this like slightly nerdy, scared guy? And he just kind of went over the top. He's always just blinking because he's got these huge glasses on. There is a lot of blinking going on. It's true. And looking a bit scared. Uh, if you could see, I'm doing an impression. Um, he provides at the end. He provides the pathos, doesn't he? That to 
to put the broken man to set against uh, the man who will not submit. Yes, he does add some characterization which is not there in the rest of it and is not there necessarily in the book. I think the film's downfall, like you say, though, is that we don't really care about them overall. Mm. And for me, the biggest problem is it's very repetitive. Mm. Now, that is not necessarily the problem of the film in that it comes from the source material mm. too. But there's only so you can only escape so many times before yeah. you're bored of seeing escape attempts. And if in the book he escapes, I don't know, 20 times mm. um, and keeps getting recaught and terrible things keep happening, it, it goes on a long time. I actually found by the time it gets to the final escape attempt and they're on Devil's Island, yeah. I was I was done. Yeah, so I, I agree. So I actually didn't care about his final escape, especially because they made him so old as well. Mm. So he, so he, I know that every time he's going to go do something, he's really slow to do it because he's so old. Uh, I yeah. think once mm. once their escape attempt fails and he's put back in solitary, that's that's kind of when I finish with the movie. Right. So that the the last twenty twenty five minutes. That's Did you feel that it's the same in the books? I think of remembering. I think I might have felt the same in the book. The kind of the. Uh, the romance almost, which is a funny word to use, but the romance had kind of gone uh, by that stage and it was kind of grinding it out. So I did want to ask you this. How does it live up to your memories of the book? So we all read the book about, I don't know, four billion times each. Obviously, I exaggerate slightly for effect. But, you know, we, we talked about it all the time at school. Uh, several of us practised trying to put rolls of money up our backsides. No, we didn't actually do Did that. you? I was about to say. <laughs> we didn't do that, yeah. Oof. And we draw the statement. But um, we were all absolutely fascinated by the book. Um, and I can't remember ever being bored in the book. And um, somehow it, I have the traditional problem you've got when you have a film with a book, um, which is that it's not quite as colourful. It's not as you thought of it. And it's not kind of well so well drawn as you imagined it. So your yeah. your mind is a far greater film studio than any film studio can ever be, and I, it didn't You're have so the wise, David. It's it's true, true, isn't it? It is true. I do not. Might, I don't know exactly. You might, what you might want to write that one down. Uh, you know, for later. Um, so, so were you emotionally engaged in the book? Yes, absolutely emotionally engaged, and you're constantly. Okay. Re- and also, there's a there's a bit of the crime and punishment thing in the book. You know, in the Dostoevsky, obviously, the crime and punishment thing. The thing I like most about that movie is him saving his copex and all the talk about the copex and how many copex he's got this week and what's happened and all the rest of it. And there was something about that, the constant trying to get the money and was he going to get close enough to his aim? And you know, when he went to the bathroom and took the money after his bum, was there going to be enough? <laughs> yeah. And, I don't know, there was something very compelling about the book that made it one of my absolute classic reads of all time. And I wouldn't say that about the movie. Yeah, okay. I I can understand that. It's very rare when you have a book that is that big. Yeah. I can't think of any that is so successful that the film can match up to it. Yeah. It's the Boys Ocean Adventure thing as well, isn't it? I mean, at that age, it was just a simple, you know... And it was pretty earthy as well. And your teenage boys like earthy things, you know? Yeah. From my experiences of reading the book, the actual plot of the book differs from the film. The main difference being that in the book, his escape attempt, where he, he escaped for a long period of time, happens quite early in the book. And I believe that it's when he gets back that he that he goes into solitary. Hmm. I think there's a slight, right. it's slightly reordered, and then he has a whole series of smaller escape attempts, 
for ages in the later part of the book. Then he goes to Devil's Island, and then he escapes from Devil's Island, but then he ends up in another prison in Venezuela. Right. And he lands on the beach, and his colleague dies in the quicksand, and then he gets out of that prison, and then lives as a civilian. So it goes on long after the movie ends as well. Um, I actually think the movie is really good in terms of the way that it restructures. Right. And it creates a much tighter narrative because... In the... Because... When they when he gets when they get he fails his final escape he's just you know on the run for all that time and then doesn't make it at the end mm. that feels like a natural ending place that's the midpoint yes. in the book right um, that's like page two hundred and fifty or something right and it's like a six hundred page book the thought of having that happen it just wouldn't make sense in a movie yeah. to have such a big escape fail and then a bunch of small ones yeah even if it's true so they could do a couple of small ones at the beginning he ends up in solitary and then he plans his big escape right so they just rejig it and I think that works really well. My impression as well from reading it is that actually the scenes that the film includes from the book are just completely brought to life. Okay, yeah. Um, The book is cold. For me reading it, the book is quite matter-of-fact. Yes, it's quite transactional. It's it's as much about the process. Yeah, it's like, I push the money on my bum. And you're like, okay. You know, there's no no description in there. Um, So thank God for that. So it just it just it does that all the time. So if somebody dies, he might be like, "I felt sad. I'd really like that guy," but then I watched him get eaten by a crocodile, uh, and then it's just like, "Okay." Uh, so the 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 kind of, and it moves at quite a pace. Hmm. It, you know, he's just writing it as it happens. So it'd be like end of exercise book five. Hmm. Okay, then the Indians attacked. I was running through the jungle, yeah. and then it just it just moves quite quickly, and it and. He'll only really describe it if he needs to get kind of the feel for the place, but it doesn't really go into it that yeah. much. Um, and he doesn't really... I don't think he dwells on his thoughts, his internal thoughts that much. No, it's quite matter-of-fact, isn't it? And I can't remember how much railing against the machine there is in the, the book. You know, and there really isn't in a funny sort of way in the film. You know, they're not saying... Oh, the system is unjust and appalling, and you know we need to free the world. It's There's, just this is the way the world. But there is, is that there is those really weird dream sequences that happen. There's two, you know, where he's like running upside down down the promenade, and then he's on that like desert, and all the judges are there, the magistrates, yes, and they're like, "You life. are yeah. condemned." Yes. So he was is- that in the book? I've forgotten because that was a strange, very out of character scene. The scene where he says, "I'm guilty of a wasted life." I'm I'm not sure because obviously I am skipping some of the books. It's quite long. I'm trying yeah. to get through it in about a week for the podcast. All I know is obviously it opens with his trial mm. and lots of time in France before he goes to the island. The film just cuts straight to him going to the right. island. So it does kind of a little bit of like dream flashback thing. Yeah. Which I think is just, it's weird. It, it really yeah. doesn't fit with the rest of the film. It doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. And yeah. it's really kind of abstract. Yeah. Um, the like slow-mo upside down running and like... Characters in weird landscapes doesn't yeah. really make any it sense. Doesn't, it's true. It doesn't fit at all. But I do think it's an attempt to try and add characterization to mm. McQueen's Papillon, which you which you just don't get. And yeah. as you said, you don't care about the characters particularly. I think it, if you watch this movie, it's not to fall in love with the characters. It's to be amazed by what the journey is. Yeah. The actual physical actions and yeah. it's, it's like an action movie. It is. Yeah. You just That's need good. to watch set piece after set piece. I agree. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How did you feel about it now? I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Um, I didn't feel bored, but um, if I'm honest, I did it as a job because this was the episode. <laughs> okay. Um, brutal. Brutal. Um, and yeah, it was a couple of hours well spent, but I didn't feel as though I'd learned something new about the film industry or I'd you know been incredibly emotionally engaged. Uh, and I would still go back to the book from my memory as being, you know, what I'd, if I had to go through the story again, I'd go to the book. How did you feel about, because obviously you've read the book, so I had to go back and read the book. How did you feel about the treatment of, you know, people with leprosy, the treatment of the indigenous peoples? That was, but that was very, okay, so that, that's a good, rich vein. So Jane was ironing while I was watching. Um, and uh, we got to the bit about the, the him shacking up with a native girl. And she looked at that and said, how oh, ridiculous, and went back to her ironing. And there was a bit, you do wonder, you know, when you come out to talk about the book and how realistic the book was and how realistic his memories were, how accurate they were, you kind of think, mm, this sounds awfully made up. It's kind of like, a, yeah. you know, it's just like a, a male fantasy type thing. It is. And you just think, oh, this is a bit tripey. Um, but of course, he claims it happens. Yeah, and the bit when, and not only, not only does he have multiple wives and have multiple children, and that he turns up and he's absolutely disgusting. He's been on a penal colony yeah. for years, and yeah. these two women are like, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean, I do understand he's Steve McQueen. Yeah, but, that's true. But yeah, uh, still, is, yeah. and then the but the, for me the weirdest bit is when um, the leader of the tribe is like, "Please tattoo me, man, who's never done yes. a tattoo in your life," <laughs> yeah, right. and he's like, "Okay then," and he's like, "Oh, yeesh, I've never done a tattoo before. Let's do it." Yeah. And then he just and then you have to painstakingly watch him tattoo his tattoo. That that Papillon has had such an influence yeah. on this leader of this tribe that he's such a great man that this leader now yeah. needs to copy him. No. Yeah. Oh, so. I was that yeah. that bit was really frustrating. That bit was um, yeah, indeed. And I couldn't help but feel like some of the unnecessary the seventies vibe to it. It is a little bit yeah. like an exploitation film at times, I guess. Some of the unnecessary um, dealings with animals, or, or even violence towards them, mm. or just like the, even fighting the crocodile. There's no point. That's not, that bit's not even in the book. Yeah. Um, oh, so is that right? That, yeah, that like, bit's not yeah. in the book. I think it's just there to. to it, it's there to, to emphasise the brutality, the jungle is shock you, make it crazy. Yeah. And to do, yeah. I, I can understand yeah. why at the time as well. Like, so the, it, the it Indian bit, I must admit, that Indian bit with the village, it, it felt silly in the book actually. I seem to remember, and it felt even sillier in the in the movie. Yeah, and I think now watching it a little bit, that is one of the things. Over time, some of those silly bits they they do mm. become harder to to take, especially when you have to believe this story. Yeah. So well, we might as well get on to. Yeah, accuracy, etc. Because obviously we are talking about this as a historical film. Yeah, indeed. Now, we might decide it's not very historical, but I still think it's worth looking at because Henri Charrier says that it is 100% true. Well, I didn't think take. he said that. I, okay. thought I he think he said, said 80% true. I think we got something else he said 75, okay. but let's not argue 75% about 75% true. <laughs> That's he right, said yeah. essentially he didn't have a book at the time, so he has to do it from memory. Yeah. So some things might change. Yeah, like making up an Indian village and uh, three wives. But yeah. But the his suggestion he, considering what critics say about how much is true, he says way more is true than anyone yeah, else. Indeed. Um. So the impression that I get from the book overall, since this is an adaptation, so the accuracy of the film, I think, really. It's pretty accurate compared to the book. Everything that happens in the film does happen in the book. Mm. They're just adjusted slightly. The main thing is Louis Dega is given way more importance in the film than the book. 
Right, that's interesting. Because it's the the two guys who go with him. You know when Dega climbs over the wall yeah. and drops, breaks his ankle? That's not him. He doesn't go on that escape attempt. So that whole second half right. of the film is not Dega's not on there. So actually, in the film, they're trying to build up uh, this counterpoint character in order for dramatic effect. So he obviously existed, and there was some connections mm. with him, and he was kind of involved throughout. But I, I think they they kind of make Dega into some of the other characters yeah. in the film. But there's not necessarily a problem. Mm. That's just kind of the main thing. Uh, and there's a few like adjustments, but on the whole, what happens in the film at least exists in the book somewhere, yeah. even if it's put in a different place. And they kind of just move through that order. Uh, and I did kind of feel like when I was reading it, I was rereading the film. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's accurate to the book. Yeah. Whether the book is accurate is the, is the main question. Yeah, it's the other is the is what the seventy five percent thing. The other thing to point out is uh, Henri Cherrier was a consultation on the film. He was there on location and he was providing extra details to them. So he was saying, "This is what it was like. That's what I saw." Because they rebuilt the place, didn't they? I'm, I'm not sure. Well, they certainly did a lot, as you said. They all went on location. It cost them a fortune, didn't it? And they um, and he on the DVD, your DVD, there was a, an extras bit, which is. Henri Charrière walking around the place showing everybody but then there was also pictures of ruins so I'm not sure how much they rebuilt and how much they did but it felt as though they'd worked hard to recreate the atmosphere and the place and it also felt that they had tried to recreate the reality of what the penal system was like Yes, and if they've got him there on set with them Mm -hmm. and on location telling them what happened I would assume as far as they're concerned they're making it as accurate as possible Yes, indeed with just a little bit of artistic license. Yeah. Um, some people suggested that maybe the harshness of the guards and mm. the system in general is slightly right. exaggerated, but I think the amount of deaths on the island cannot be underestimated. Yeah. I would just assume that maybe way more people are just dying of natural causes from yeah. simply just existing there. Yeah. Rather than... They, in the movie, they all seem to be actually deliberately, consciously killed by the guards on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but the book, as I remember, I mean, the book, as I remember, there were kind of relationships between the inmates and the guards because the guards had to be used in order to bribe, blah, blah, blah. But that they were also, they're not personalities, although there was a governor, I think, he got involved. But anyway, I forgot that. So various people have come out over the years and sort of criticised the book. Mm. It should be noticed, the, the film is made four years after the book was released. So any true criticism of the book maybe has not even come out by this time period. Mm. As a result, if you, if you were to make the film now, because there was a remake that was done about a year oh, ago, yes, yeah. but it's terrible, apparently. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. And everybody said, why would you remake this movie? But then, why would you re- remake any movie? And to be honest, it probably fits in the 70s it, and the 60s. It doesn't fit now. Mm. I, you'd just make a different film, and I don't think it would have that feel to it. Mm. We kind of take it in its place in time. But it, because it's made so shortly after the book, there maybe hasn't been a lot of, a lot of the new evidence yeah. about who maybe was the real Papillon Hasn't has come, come out in the last, yeah. in quite recent times. Right. That didn't exist then, so the filmmakers can't be blamed for that. So some of the details in the book, places, dates, locations, do not match. Uh, and, for example, uh, Devil's Island has different geography. Right. And I believe that there are records that show that Papillon was never on Devil's Island. Is that the right? guards have produced right. them and said that he was never on Devil's Island. So... Also, it only has about 12 or 14 people. It really didn't have many people on that final island, and his description of the island is not accurate. Right. So the suggestion is that that bit is, is, is not it's true. Fabricated. 
But obviously he does end up in Venezuela mm. and is a Venezuelan citizen, so he gets there somehow. Yeah, and he escapes from somewhere. And his knowledge of the coconuts thing, like, I don't know, you got to kind of go with that. Uh, there was a book that was written 30 years earlier by a different escapee. His name was René Belbenois. Uh, I've pronounced that terribly, I'm sure. Uh, in 1938, he released the book. And actually, there are sections of that book right. which exactly mirror this book. Mm-hmm. For example, this man, René, went to live with the Gojira Indians um, and took Indian wives, exactly like Papillon does, right. 30 years earlier in a book. I wrote about it. And then the same thing happened again later, right. really? So... So what are you saying that Rene is? Uh, I think I think a lot of people. Are, oh, Rene predated. Yeah, predated uh, by thirty Papillon. years, and he was another prisoner ah, on I the see. islands and an escapee. And there are similarities between the books, right. some of them. So the suggestion is that some of Papillon's right, writings might be taken directly from this other mm. guy's book. Although obviously he could have heard the stories about this yeah. man, if that's true. Yeah. On the islands, because he was there for the whole time. What is true is that, seemingly, Sharia was pardoned for murder in 1970. Which yeah. supports his claim that he was wrongly imprisoned. Because um, he says he never committed the murder. Mm. And they sent him to this penal colony. And it was all an injustice. They pardoned him in 1970. Mm. I can't imagine you would do that if it wasn't true. Mm. So I find that interesting. Yeah. But obviously, he was there on you the You might islands. do, because he's now an extraordinary celebrity talking about the brutality of your penal system. You could do, actually. The general impression that I get is that most events didn't happen or they were heavily embellished, or they were just taken from other people. For example, there's a scene in the book where Papillon saves a guard's daughter from the ocean, from sharks. Right. A man did that, but he died doing it. He right. was a different prisoner. And there are various parts of the story which seem true. Uh, I think the actual world itself exists and is real, and lots of the things that happen all do happen. Some discrepancies over the solitary, but that that is there, that is how yeah. it works. I think the, the 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 richness of the place and the and the story and actually almost I would imagine a lot of the stories that you hear about probably happened mm. in some form or another, but the chances of them all happening to this one man yeah it's not like Jack Bauer from Twenty Four right this much bad stuff can't happen to one person. Well, hang on, you mean Jack Bauer isn't historically accurate? No, but what it, what I mean is you know like in a, in a season of Twenty Four something happen? something terrible. Like, monumentally, yes. world-changingly terrible happens every 20 minutes um, to one man. Yeah, he um, really is unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah, for, for eight eight yeah. seasons. Oh, not again. Come on. No, you can't take a break. Somebody else deal with this. I, I think that... Did, um, you, did you watch Henri on the... Did you watch the... I history? didn't actually see that, ah, no. So, so you see Henri Charrier going round. Um, so you shouldn't apparently judge a book by its cover, obviously. But... He seems pretty convincing when he's describing it. I was going to say another thing, that... Uh, I would want to verify anything on Henri Charrier. <laughs> anything anything he me. said, yeah. Which is, you know, I don't mean to be, you know, character assassination, but, you know, he doesn't look like a bit of a chancer. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Uh, it had the, been in a penal colony for yes. some of the years, you know. Yeah. There, was a, there was a man named Charles Brunier who claimed in 2005 that he was the true inspiration for Papillon. He has a butterfly tattoo on his arm. Right. And he was on Devil's Island, I believe. But there have been a number of people who have claimed right. to be Papillon. Yeah, so I am Papillon, actually. Yeah, there are a few people who like, wolf. no, I was the inspiration for Papillon. Yeah. No, he was the inspiration for Papillon. Yeah. Uh, and general critics have said that probably, like, I don't know, 10 to 15% of the book is true, which probably means slightly less for the film. Right. But, you know, 
Gosh, that's quite a low estimate then, isn't it? I mean, that's uh, that's pretty damning. It is. Part of me does think, though, that if Papillon is so... If he's even half as yes. it, it, you know, inventive and Absolutely. driven as he is in the film, uh, it, I wouldn't put it past me for him to do literally anything. Yeah. So if he makes up this story, sells it loads, you know, great. Yeah. I believe that it was yeah. the, the the publisher who sold the book. When the book was taken to them, it was presented as a novel. They received it as a novel, right. but they focused on autobiographies, and they said to him, this will sell better if you make it an autobiography, right. and it was adjusted slightly. Right. That's the impression I get. Yeah. But I do think that it's worth noting that the film does give you a pretty good understanding about the penal colonies. Yeah. The... The feel of being in the, in that location is probably pretty accurate. Yeah, you, you, there can't be smoke without fire. This he can't have been in the penal colony for that long and escaped and ended up in Venezuela. Yeah. And there can't and, be all these stories around whether they yeah. whether they're his or they're somebody else. Um, and I don't think the from what I read, I don't think the French government has ever come out and said, "Hey, these penal colonies they weren't like that. They were nice, fluffy places." And you know, they're, no. It was a lot of marmalade production going on, you know. The people haven't said that. They said, well, we, you know, we, it was reviewed and we closed it down. And Alfred Dreyfus uh, highlighted quite heavily a lot of the problems with mm. the colonies. And I think he, his return and his information that he gave about the place did play quite a big role in right. eventually kind of getting it mm. removed. Um, so what I would say is you have to take everything with a pinch of salt, mm. but as we were talking about before, a little bit with the, the folklore, that oral history is in some form mm. a, a sense of history yeah. and we have to consider it. I would say that there has to be some truth in a lot of this yeah. going on. Oh, I heard it from this guy that he did yeah. this. I heard it from that guy that he did that. And we just have to accept that that you know Henri's story is taking a lot yeah. of other people's stuff and putting it into one. But I imagine a lot of these, you know, a lot of these people did exist. Yeah. There are a bunch of people who escaped a series of them, and anyone who committed a bunch of escape attempts believes that kind of they were the reason for Papillon. So, yeah, anything else great. you think okay. you want to say? Uh, no. that's. I think that's great. Should we grade it? Yes. It's going to be quite difficult on the historical accuracy, and, and like the uh, episode on American Scots, I'm just going to have to defer for you on this historical accuracy. Okay, but I will still, I will still gauge still your opinion. Indeed, yeah. Oh, uh, what is it about, the film? I mean... <laughs> I don't think there's any great theme that exists in this film. I think it's a fun 70s adventure movie. Uh, they don't really seem to dwell that much on the injustice of it all. They really just get on with escaping. No, it's not about injustice, I agree. So Shawshank Redemption has all these like themes that yeah. exist in it when they're escaping, but this is kind of pretty surface level, I would say. Okay, so it's an adventure movie. Yeah, I, I think it's just an adventure movie from a time that captured everybody's imagination right. about this other part of the world that was really fascinating and the crazy things that happened there. Do you don't think it's about the triumph of the human spirit? I mean, maybe, but... Or about um, a relationship between two men? No. Just asking you to get shirty. I don't, I don't think Dega's that important. I, I really don't think that he cares about him that much. Um, okay, so it's a venture story. Okay. Human spirit is a little bit more. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, well, first of all, why, why would you recommend anyone watches this film? Because it's enormous fun, isn't it? I mean, you're just thinking, all the way through, you're thinking, God, I'm really glad I'm not there. Oh, and I have another cup of tea, please. So, you know. 
Do you think, based on watching the film and having read the book, that if somebody was like, I don't really have much time, but I'm a little bit interested, would you tell them to go watch the film over trying to read the book? You've got to start asking me difficult questions. If they've only got a little bit of time, I'd say see the film. If they... Because it will give you a pretty good, inter- a pretty good yeah. version of it. But um, I'd say try and make time and read the book. Okay. Yeah, it is quite fun. It's quite easy to read. It's, yeah. it's quite nice. Absolutely. Great. No, it's all, it's, all, it's all great. I agree. I would be tempted to give the film a six. You're a little bit... We're establishing this thing that you're a little bit meaner than I because I was going to go for a seven. Well, I had thought... I have seven in brackets. Right. I think that maybe at a different time I would have given it a seven. Okay, I think so maybe, fallen... maybe I'm going to go for the six with you because in the coldness of the film somehow... You know, I was not in my... I thoroughly enjoyed it. It passed two hours fine, all the rest of it. But... At the end of it, it had finished and I went and did something else. Uh, is it a little bit forgettable? Yeah. So let's maybe? say six. So I would say six, because I think we should try and be a little bit harsh with ourselves. Yep. Accuracy-wise, this is where I'm torn, because obviously... Yeah, you, is it to the book or is it to the event at the time? I think the film is accurate to the book. Yeah. I don't have any problems mm-hmm. with any of the changes the film does, yeah. really. Obviously, Dega is kind of put up, so it's, but it's relatively accurate to the book. But I think the film relative accurate towards history... Yeah. I think I've got to look at like a three or a four. So when we, we had this debate about Master and Commander and then somebody else raised another question, that somebody made a suggestion and said, why don't you have um, split the historic accuracy thing between the framework of the time and the, the actual events? And I think what we're saying is that the framework of the time and the sort of things that went on, it's pretty accurate too. But the actual events that Henri Charrière carried out and whether it was him and when he did it in order is probably down at the three. Yeah. But in terms of the world and what people did to escape it, it's much higher by the sound of things. It might be an eight even. Okay. Okay, I've had this great thought. Let's, um, well, <laughs> well, take the amalgam of the two scores and just have one score. Because we want to have one score. So we're just going to, as we judge it, we're going to say, well, look, we'd give it a three. That's what you said. From its real accuracy to real events, but actually it builds the word pretty pretty well. So that's an eight. So we're going to end up with a five. Yeah, I think I, can, I think I can tolerate a five. I do think maybe it's still overall a little bit lower. Yeah. But it's really hard to know because everyone on the island died. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There are so few people who can actually talk about what yeah. happened, even when they returned. Yeah, it's horrific, isn't and it? And they've been in solitary for absolutely yeah. years. That the brains have turned to mush. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much you can survive a prison. No place like that no and comment and obviously he ends up where he does yeah so he does happen yeah he does he does get out yeah he does go i would imagine a a chunk of it happens and he just has to fill the others in and he takes for other people's stories and then he adds a little bit and it's all a bit of a blur anyway yeah and the bits where he looks really good that's where he's made it up yeah okay very good so now we're going to hear about your reaction to mary queen of scots hello mary queen of scots then We've had quite a lot of conversations about Mary. There was a definite air of anticipation, a rustling, a popcorn, a hurried review of the wittertainment rules. And so we had a few debates over the weeks because people kept on posting things and all the rest of it before it came out. So I probably need to deal with the 1971 movie first. Essentially, most of you seem to feel the same as Wolf and I. Mm, that, you know, well, mm, whatevs, really. I thought Glenda was great and Tim was brilliant, but yeah, okay, not much enthusiasm in the world for the film. However, there were honourable and indeed noble exceptions, and congratulations on that front to Tony. Now then, the 2018 movie. Our Sorsch seems to be in a big hit with everybody. 
But apart from that, there's not much you all agree on. In one corner, there is a party that found the inaccuracy of the Scottish accent and the meeting unbearable. An honourable set of standard bearers there. So, Devon, Rowena, just to name a couple. There was general confusion. Uh, what on earth was her brother doing wearing that haircut and the hairband thing? Had the bloke been talking to Thierry Henry or something like that? Why? Oh, why? This seems to be generally a haircut problem with history films in Scotland. The Outlaw King. Did you see Chris's haircut there? I mean, did you see that? Did I mention that? Probably think I did. Then there was a group that appeared to be, I don't know, mildly disappointed while quite enjoying it sort of thing. Caroline wished they'd focused more on the Mary-Murray relationship, and I think that's the bit where convincing personality genuinely came into the movie, the only real bit there. So, yes, agree with that. Jennifer made the point that it was dripping with anachronistically modern themes. So either you see this as a good use of history films, as one historian wrote recently, actually, that for some people the modern themes help to make find the past relevant and interesting, draw them into it, or indeed, if you like history movies... It's a useful vehicle to help then raise discussion about such modern themes. So you either think that and rationalise it in that way, or you just see it as painfully anachronistic and like scraping nails across a blackboard. Discuss. And then I think we just break down to those that found the frocks, the scenery, the colours, the film's panache, enlivening and invigorating. And there are plenty of you who thought that and loved it. Although on the frocks, there were folks out there like Tim and particularly Meg who are outraged, outraged at the lack of realism in the clothes. And Meg posted a very funny article full of fury and outrage that made me laugh. Hoop earrings, brass straps, steampunk sort of thing. So thanks for posting that, Meg. And then there were the folks, on the other hand, who thought, well, you know, it's a bit dull, and they'd rather watch the Monty P take. I should tell you, actually, that I am doing a course at the moment, and for the next two years, have I mentioned this mm, a couple of million times? Anyway, a part-time undergraduate diploma. And there was this lecturer on that called Dr Janet, who was livid about the movie. Livid. And about the historian whose book underpinned it. It's John Guy, she said. He hates Elizabeth. And all I could see was John Guy laughing and saying, I've got her. Like me, she singled out the stupid flowers scene. And look, she's a real historian. That's why I feel thoroughly vindicated now. Go me. Oh, and then there was Luke's summary, which was, FREEDOM! Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for everybody who's rated us on iTunes, and thanks very much, especially to everybody who's come onto the Facebook group and had a bit of fun with us. And please do so again about Papillon. So that's it for this week, for this uh, fortnight. Uh, I will see you in two weeks more, which is going to be about Robin Hood, and that's going to be three of us again. Not going to be a three-way, obviously. I've learned that lesson now. Yes. It's going to be three of us talking with Glenn Longwell. Looking forward to it. Yeah, fantastic. All right, goodbye. Bye. Are you not entertained? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.